All right, everyone. Today's episode is brought to you by our wonderful public school system here in Prescott, Arizona. The Prescott Unified School District has been serving children for over 150 years. And while the community and district has grown and changed considerably since 1868, the commitment to children, families, and the community remains the same to this day. PUSD welcomes all students, including those who live outside the district boundaries, because at Prescott Unified School District, every child, every day, Everywhere matters. Proceeds from your membership and our advertisers with Raven Productions goes directly to supporting the arts programs in the PUSD. Welcome to The Creative Convergence, an audible nexus of the creative arts. I'm your host, Candace Devine. Join me in conversation as we discuss the journey creatives take on their path to success. Hey everybody, it's that time again, a new podcast episode, and I am so thrilled to bring you today's guest. She is one of the most interesting people I know. Her journey has just been incredible, and I can't wait for you to hear about it. Today's guest is Shannon Torrance, a dear friend of mine, and she is a professional voiceover actor who has lent her voice to TV and radio, commercials, animated projects, video games, business narration, phone systems, jingles, and more. If you'd like to learn more about Shannon Torrance, please see our show notes where you can find links to her social accounts as well as her YouTube and website. Hey, everybody. As you know, I always am excited about my guests, and this one is absolutely no different. She is incredible. She's lovely. She is warm and kind and intuitive and smart and talented and stunningly beautiful. And she's a dear friend of mine. And we recently just had a wonderful road trip together to Sedona. And I was like, oh my gosh, please be on my podcast. And she said yes, because she's the best human ever. Please welcome Shannon Torrance to my podcast. Hi, Shannon. Candace, you're one of my favorite people. And this is the biggest honor. I actually listen to your podcast and love it. Becca, and, you have an incredible just, podcast that we're going to get into, but we have to get, keep, please keep going. <laughs> thank you. You're like, tell me more about No, I didn't mean it me. that way. I meant, I no, just I realized know, I, I know totally that. in real time interrupted you. And then I was like, oh God, please keep talking. No, no, no. I really, I really want to say that. Um, really, your podcast is great. And I love it. Even if, even if I didn't know you, I would still listen to it. Thank you. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Let's dive into you because you are a wonder of excitement and glory and the most interesting you have such so many interesting stories I can't wait to share tell me about little baby Shannon where were you born talk to me about kind of um your life plan style the Mm -hmm. things that were going on in your life as a young little person yeah it actually I think I think you'll find this interesting um I well I I was born. I was born in Melbourne, Australia, but that's not, I'm not Australian. Um, And so I think what's most noteworthy about my childhood is that I was born with a large birthmark on my face. And I was also born a very highly sensitive person. Um, So uh, I had a lot of, I I had a a real sense of um, self-consciousness as a child, and um, a lot of people would see me and make comments about my face, which, of course, when you're two, you don't even have really a sense of yourself. And so my sense of myself was 
um, how other people responded to me. I had wonderful and still do. I'm very blessed that I still have my parents together, a loving family, supportive parents. But I noticed people would stare and point and call me names because they were just little themselves most of the time and or they were just curious. So because I felt so overwhelmed by people looking at me, I completely shut down and became selective mute, um, which means that you can speak, you are able to speak, but you choose not to. Some people who have selective mutism talk to a select few. I spoke with my baby sister and no one else. And it doesn't just affect speech. It's actually an anxiety disorder. It affects, for me, another way of shutting down was I didn't want people to even see how I felt. So I remember having pictures taken of me in nursery school. I remember it so vividly. And the photographer was using a cookie monster uh, puppet to try to make me laugh. And I stony faced in this, in this kindergarten picture I was so afraid to show emotion. I didn't want anyone to see me in any way, which is, you know, I think, yeah, go I, I ahead. find this so fascinating about you. And we have talked about this in, in yeah. this hanging out. And, and I, it, it, never, it never doesn't astonish me, especially knowing you now. You are a, yeah. a talky person. You, your career is based around talking, which we'll get into. But I, do you recollect consciously making those choices? Like, I mean, you're so little. Do you remember having any sense of, if I just don't say anything, um, they'll just either look the other way or not engage me or I won't feel, be obligated to participate? Do you remember knowing the, that choice or was it just something you couldn't help doing because it just felt safe? It, yep, it just felt safe, but the way that you described it is exactly the psychology behind it. So my parents had taken me to a child psychologist at the time, two of the best in the nation. And what they explained is that selective mutism, when children are small, it's sort of the equivalent of anorexia, where anorexia isn't about weight. It's about control and, and protect, self-protection. So but a little kid, some little kids, unfortunately, do suffer from anorexia. But um, in my case, all I had control over was my voice. So I don't, I didn't consciously make that decision. However, what I knew I was conscious of was I know that I don't want anyone to see me vulnerable. I don't want anyone to see me show any kind of sadness or or happiness because I didn't want people to, I don't know if it's assault me with their response. I guess like by by if I were to laugh, they might engage with me. And so I think like you said, just it was a very base instinct that if I don't speak, just like how kids will cover up their face and say, you can't see me. It's like I just wanted to shut everybody out that way. Do you think it was primarily based because of the birthmark or do you think it was just uh, or do you think that was like the catalyst coupled with a social anxiety? Mm -hmm. Both. Yeah, exactly. Just what you said. Um, like I've said before, if I a lot of kids might have been like, this is my special birthmark and it makes me who I am. 
I think that being an, what they call an HSP, which is a highly sensitive person, um, which 15% of the population are, are meaning that the, they are the ones that biologically in the herd were the watchers so that we were the ones at, from an evolutionary perspective that would sense danger. And so we're born, it's not a, it's not a, dis, um, not a disability. It's, it's not actually uh, a, a defect or, or a abnormal mutation. It's a survival instinct. And those of us who are technically highly sensitive people, not that other people can't be sensitive and empathic. No, but you just, oh, you are at the next yeah. level of that kind yeah. of sensitivity. And I would imagine, and you please clarify for me, but I would imagine that on some level, it's not only, emo- I think most people listening would go like, oh, that just means, you know, when she sees a sad movie, she cries more than the average person. Yeah. But, but for you, this is highly sensitivity is emotional but also in a physical sense, like you're aware of someone looking at you on a much more highly focused level. You're aware of people, like you said, from an evolutionary standpoint, like you're going to sense bad energy easier than yeah. the average. You're going to sense a bad guy or a bad player in your space at yeah. a higher level. Like other kids may go like, mm, that guy looks shifty. You're going to be like, no dice, dude. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, unfortunately, not until... Uh, that, that didn't come until later. But yes, ostensibly, that should be the way it works. Um, in my case, it sort of had the opposite effect where because I'm such an empath, I was I ended up becoming one of those women who love too much. But that's just, you know, that's that's just sort of a different issue with boundaries that that arises. But yes, ostensibly, being an HSP, you do pick up on energy. And if you're paying attention, you know, okay, this person, something feels off. And when you're tuned into your instinct, you will know. So I believe it's a gift, but it can also come with But that's with a lot hazards. for a little person. I mean, that's a lot to yeah, work yeah. through and understand about yourself when you don't understand about yourself. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. The, the psychologist I went to, Dr. Kornhaber, told my mom, he said, poor Shannon, she has so many feelings she doesn't know what to do with. And that's just sums it up. I think um, that's why I shut down. And so it was, it was just my way of shutting out the world. And I was, I remember I was afraid to speak because I didn't want people to make a fuss and pay attention to me and embarrass me with their reaction. So, um, and I recently was in a, I watched a YouTube video about selective mutism and someone in it who is now selective mute, a young person said, I don't want to speak because I don't want people to say anything about it. And I said, that is exactly how I felt. It's an anxiety disorder. And you just want to, you, when you realize you're missing, you really do want to speak. But then you're, you become afraid because you do, they're going to make a big deal about it. I just don't want the attention. You kind of, you don't want the attention on you. You want to deflect attention. Yeah. Mm -hmm. May I ask you, I'm curious because, especially with a creatively engaged human, which you are, did you find ways to entertain yourself or were you creative with your own headspace? Like, were you the kid that if you were in your room alone, your mm -hmm. the room was your world? Like you were yeah. talking to stuffed animals or making up shows or, but as long For as it was sure. you. Yeah, as long as it was me or someone I was safe with, when I eventually did speak, 
again after years and years of therapy. Um, I remember, I can recall a day where my best friend Adele and I were out on the playground. This was fourth grade. So Wait, by now, really quickly, because don't yeah. lose track of that story, but really quickly, just so we t- wrap in, in a, co- how long did you not speak? I, I'd have to ask my parents, but to me, I think it was at least two years. It may have been, th- I, I want to say three. They yeah. may correct me on that, but it was three years of really being in silence. Oh my gosh. And, um, and yeah, so it, and being separated from the class with my own special teacher. So then I was even more isolated, you know, having, I, 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 my teacher had what was called um, the secret room. That was my room, which sounds a little dark when you think about it now, like, gosh, that's sort of sad. I don't know if they would do that now, but I did. I had my own safe room and that's where my teacher would give me one-on-one attention. And then, and and I want to hear the story with Adele, but I'm curious because you've told me the story, if you're willing to share when you did finally start talking, how did that go with your mom? Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely, I'll go, I'm, what I'm just, I'll say this about what I was going to say about me and Adele is we were playing an imaginary game where we were these children in the war and we looked around at one point and realized the entire class had already gone in back to class. And we were still so in our imaginations. And that's the kind of kid I was. Um, but yes, so the story of how I learned to speak again or chose to speak again was that um, I was really, the Wizard of Oz, I, I saw it. And I think I even watched it in the theater, if I recall, with my friend's dad who took us. And I was so, something about that movie just really I connected with it um, to the point where when it was on TV, I started to cry at the end. And my dad said, what's the matter? Why are you crying? And I said, I, I want to be in the TV. Like I wanted to be in that world. And when it ended, I was sobbing because it was gone. And so I was five years old and we were in Arinda, California, where I lived. It was Halloween. And part of my therapy was that the therapist and my teachers and my parents had to, um, they decided, okay, well, if she's going to have to learn that if she doesn't speak, she's not going to get what she wants. So if she really wants to be the Wicked Witch of the West for Halloween, which is what I had asked, she has to say the word, but we're not going to immerse her fully. They said, here's what you need to do. Get a tape recorder put her in a room by herself, ask her to just say the first word, the first letter of the first word. So the sound, the W sound. And I remember, and again, my mom might have a different memory, but to me, I remember being put in that room with the tape recorder and sitting in my parents' room. To me, it felt like hours. I don't know what the timeline was. I stared at it. I had anxiety about it. I I just, I in my mind, it was like, but I re- I have to be the Wicked Witch of the West. I have to paint my face green and have a wart on my nose. And however long it took, I gathered up the courage to just say, Wah. that was the sound I had to make. And at whatever point, I don't know if my mom was sitting there with her ear up against the door or, or what, but when I came out, she came in. I don't know if my dad, where my dad was. And um, I she played back the recorder and she said that night or maybe it was that moment 
I'm not sure. I turned to her and I said, mommy, and she very calmly did exactly the right thing by not overreacting. She said, yes. And I said, mommy, tell me. And she said, tell you what? And I said, tell me everything. And she said, we stayed up talking. Like she kept me up late where I was like, why is the sky blue? How do trucks work? What is it? <laughs> just so many questions. All the questions of three years of just no answers. Yes. Yes. Because you that I was the dying to know. Yeah. So, and for, and I think right after that, I think it, I think that was it. And I just talked again. I think I just needed to feel safe. I don't, and I was still very shy. I know that I was for many years, I, I would just kind of be the quiet one that only spoke if spoken to, but I wasn't, I don't remember having the anxiety around talking anymore after that. That is so fascinating to me. It's still so fascinating to me. And I've heard these, you know, retellings from you before. Um, What did your middle school, junior high kind of years look like? Mm -hmm. Were you still kind of as imaginative? Did you lose that as you started to engage more, even though you were still kind of shy? Were you a creative kid? Did you find outlets for yourself that felt safe to you? Yeah, I know. Um, I was still shy, but, and I had very low self esteem just as a result of kids telling me I was ugly. And I still felt like that, but I became, I was very interested in theater, I, uh, musical theater. Um, we lived in Connecticut, so I got to go see Annie on Broadway. Um, it, Amazing. This was, you know, the, the 80s. So, got to see a lot of Broadway shows. I would go to school plays. I took, some acting classes, but I was still very insecure and um, wasn't a singer. But um, so I really immersed myself. I loved movies. Um, and I think my creativity was more, I would draw and I would make collages. And um, I did write. I, I really liked writing. And, and so that was kind of my outlet. And then I just had a group of sort of in seventh grade of friends who we were all not the popular kids and, and sort of not the unpopular kids. We were just sort of these sort of, I would say we're like kind of nerdy kids that were cool, that, that were, we were the more artsy ones. And so I think it was more just in hanging out with my friends, but it wasn't so much that I was an artist as, as I was drawn to artistic things and, and, um, wanted to express myself with, fashion, which wasn't very brave. We just kind of did things. Oh, today I'm going to dress like a boy when I go to school. And so, yeah, but I definitely was very drawn to acting and yet didn't pursue it because I still felt very shy. I'd had my birthmark removed, but I had a scar, which I still have, but just felt, you know, didn't wear makeup back then and just felt very self-conscious of how I looked. So I think, um, yeah, it was more in, and, and put on plays with my friends. I have to tell you, I think one of the most intriguing things about sitting with someone and talking about a life, you know, journey is yeah. that should anybody, and they will, they'll see your picture, you know, on the website or whatever with this podcast. But from the moment I met you, and I remember when I met you, I was like, oh my God, she is so strikingly pretty. Like, you know, it, it's so yeah. funny to know that especially as an adult, you know, yeah. the perception of beauty 
is such yeah. a, a complex thing because from a, the naked eye of a stranger, like I look at you and I'm like, she has this gorgeous, thick, dark hair. She's got these like stunningly striking blue eyes that just like see right through you. She's got a perfect smile. She's got this great figure. She's so stylish. I would have never, ever, ever, ever in a billion years known that anywhere in that facade would have been some insecure little girl about anything. You know, like I, even, I mean, I know that you have yeah. a, a scar here now, but I got to tell you when I first met you, I don't even think that registered in my mind. Like I don't, and even if it had, it, it in no way detours from your stunningly beautiful face or personality. So it's so fascinating to me to hear a journey about somebody who, I guess it's just don't judge a book by a cover is that, is that yeah. cliche is that you really don't know for anybody what's on the inside or what the journey has been to being who they are presently, you know? And, and I think yeah. of anybody who could see you at the same moment that I get to see you, like anybody that looks at you is like, she is a beautiful human being and you are. Aww. So it's, it's so fascinating to me to know the kind of journey of the way you protected yourself, the way you came out of protecting yourself, but also still concealed yourself in some of your, you know, um, personality just in a comfort zone. It was a place you could control to, to keep yourself feeling confident. I, I mean, it's just fascinating. Uh, I love the way you say things. Um, thank you so much for the kind words. And I think it is an important lesson because I've heard people too that I think are beautiful say, oh, come on. I, you know, I think it's, it just proves, first of all, it's true that beauty really is in your essence and your soul. I mean, obviously there are people like Angelina Jolie who are a little bit more genetically blessed than some <laughs> of us. And sometimes it's about symmetry, but really like we most people don't judge one another. We see, when I look at a person, I see their beautiful eyes, their, their eyes and their smile and their, their, the way, their warmth, their kindness, their sense of humor. And, you know, it's funny how we just beat ourselves up, but it does have to do with what we, the stories that we told ourselves or were told by others and how it sticks to you psychologically. And I wish, uh, you know, I wish that, we didn't have to go through that as human beings because we're what it's so it's it's such a superficial thing but um and it really took me like until the last maybe i don't know like i would say 7 years where i finally felt comfortable in my skin and and even then i never have looked at myself and gone oh I'll look at it look at that beauty but i love myself now and i notice that the more i love myself who i am because i live a life of integrity and i'm doing what i love and i'm you know of service wherever i can be and and just the love that i give i start to look at myself and go look at you are pretty and it's because of what's the inner inner self and i think so many actors especially battle that having gone through, I've been fortunate to not do a ton of on camera where people are criticizing the way I look, but I have so many actor friends who have been traumatized by the industry and how it tells you, oh, honey, you're not pretty enough, or oh, you could lose five pounds or, or you're fat. And it's like, and these, it's just, oh, it's just disgusting to me, but because it perpetuates low self-esteem. And I don't even want to say just women. I say it is pervasive among women, but it's also, it's just a human being thing that I think none of us realize 
yeah. our own power. And, I, and we keep ourselves small and we let ourselves believe that we aren't beautiful. Well, and I think to your point, I do think, um, it, I'm going to make a very large generalization here, but I do think creative people tend to be not highly HSP per se, Yeah. but I do think creative people, because we're drawn to expression, because we're drawn to ways of connection through art, whatever it be, whether it's vocally and singing, whether it's playing an instrument, whether it's dancing, whether it's voice acting like you do, whether it's m- anything in those genres, you tend to have a greater circumference for feelings on some yes. level because it's kind of your job in yeah. some capacity to emote feeling and and take beliefs that you have and put it on a page or put it on a painting or dance it out with your body or sing it out with your voice or whatever the case may be. And it's so fascinating to me that throughout history, it's our creatives that visibly struggle the most with yeah. all of these ideals that are put on people by God only knows who. Like who makes these, you know, at the end of the day, who decides, you know, what is ideal beauty, you know? I mean, obviously, right. like you said, Angelina Jolie, I would say 90% of the population would see her and go, yeah, that's a stunningly beautiful woman. Yeah. But to then put those requirements on the other hundred thousand billion people on the earth yes when there's only one angelina jolie it's kind of like, right <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous right. and that's who we see and that's and, who you we know, see and then we all decide yeah. we're supposed to try to attain some level of genetics that don't come from our heritages instead of celebrating right. that we all have these different things in our bodies and in our bones um Who were you as far as like when you got into the high school years? And I ask this Mm -hmm. because we all go through, you know, the discover this coming of age, the discovery of ourselves, the attraction to other people, how you present your, you know, I mean, we all hit those moments where now all of a sudden the way people view you innately becomes important because we're Mm -hmm. looking for love interests, partners, friends, being accepted in whatever fucking club, pardon the F-bomb for no reason, um, whatever club (laughs) that you don't even really care about, but you think you should, you know, how did you do in that section of life adding teenage pressures to life? Right. Oh man. I mean, it's, it's tough because I feel like Uh, I was such an insecure teenager and I really devalued myself as a result. And I think it's important that we talk about this too, because, um, you know, I just thought, oh, no one would ever find me attractive because I was the birthmark girl or, um, and so I let friends walk all over me. I let, I became a people pleaser. I did, had no boundaries. I couldn't say no to anybody. And even just, I remember like being 16 and I'd never had a, boy- a boyfriend. And the first boy that wrote me a note and passed it to his friend who passed it to me that said, will you go out with me? Check yes or no, literally. That was how I got my first boyfriend. I looked across and I'm like, that guy? Oh yeah, I kind of know who that is. Like, he's cute. I mean, and then he's like, meet me by the bus. And it was like, within a day I had a boyfriend. Well, him being a 16-year-old alcoholic, it was like, you know, within... I don't know, two months or so, I was completely heart, you know, had my heart crushed, got in way too deep with somebody that I shouldn't have gotten involved with and um, just kind of let him bully me and kind of pressure me into things I wasn't ready for. And it's just, a lot, you know, it's that kind of thing. And it's it makes me sad too, because there was even 
the um in in terms of um the creative part of me i did sing in i sang in a band which was really fun we did covers Amazing. it was like led zeppelin and um i was the lead singer we did almond brothers me singing Amazing. almond brothers and and it's funny too i hadn't found my own voice i just sang the cover just like the when I learned the songs, it was all like, oh, here's where he said, here, here's where, um, you know, this, this singer does this thing. And so I would just sing it exactly as if I were singing karaoke. But also it makes me sad that I didn't pursue theater more because I thought somehow I wasn't good enough. I took theater in, in, cla- in um, class. The only way I ended up doing a play was that the two weeks, I think it was a week or two before this play was supposed to happen. Um, the lead, they kicked the lead out because she wasn't prepared. She, <laughs> she was Swedish and she had a Swedish accent and they were complaining about the way she said W's instead of V's. They said she, she didn't learn her lines. So the director asked, does anyone here know someone who can act? And my friend said, yes, my friend Celia. She said, uh, she said, Shannon can act. So they called me in and it was hell week. And I had, I had a three act play to memorize where I played the lead and I got thrown into it, but it was because I wouldn't have auditioned for that play. I didn't have the guts to do that. It was only because someone shoved me on stage and said, you're going to do this part. And, and being, I loved it. I was going to say, and being a people pleaser at this point in your life, you're like, okay, they want me to do it. I guess I'll do it. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, I, in, a, in a funny backhanded way, it gives you the guts you may not have had at that moment because it was right. more important to make everybody happy in a sense. And then yeah. in doing it, you're like, I love this. Yeah. I memorized. I remember being up all night. I didn't do my homework. I learned a three-act play. I think over... I mean, I stayed up all night long just reading my lines and learning my lines. And I loved it. Loved it. But then did I go to college and say, I'm going to do theater. It was no. I have to get a. Jo- I have to do something that's a real job. You know, my dad said I should be a lawyer. Uh, that was going to be my next question. Yeah. So, like from your family standpoint, and I'm making a lot of assumptions here, but from a now that I'm a mom, I can see that like the yeah. big exhale of coming through the place where okay, my daughter's now speaking again. Win, yeah, right. Win, and yes. and then you get to the place where it's like okay, we can have that birthmark removed, and then you go win. Look at my beautiful daughter. She doesn't have to deal with this anymore, right? Win. Yeah. And then your kids get into their teenage years. I haven't gone through this yet, but I know it's coming in my... <laughs> but you go through the like, okay, she has friends. She's in a play. Like, win. Um, but parents still have this innate thing at times where it's like, go learn something stable. Yes. Go learn something. Like, I'm glad you're doing this creative stuff. It's helping your confidence. You're having fun. You're having a good time with friends. This is all great. This isn't what you're going to do with your life. <laughs> right. And it's it's funny because I always, I struggled a lot with doing what I thought my parents wanted me to do or my dad. My dad's a very successful man. He is a, a finance guy and he's worked in uh, construction and engineering um, as a finance, financial something, CFO. <laughs> <laughs> Not CFO, but he's, he's a, but he's, I don't know. He's a big guy up there I, doing I know all it, the but fancy I just, stuff. I know what it is. I just can't think of it at this moment and it's boring. So, um, but you know, he's very successful, very smart and was the breadwinner and traveled all over the world. And, um, so working for Flora Daniel, which is a real corporate job. And 
I remember him sitting me down before college and saying, okay, well, here are your skills. These are your skill sets. You're good at speaking. You're good at writing. I law school. That's probably what you should do. I think, I think that makes sense. Never did it occur to me. It's not his fault. I never said, well, dad, that's not me. You know, that I don't, right. I didn't know who I was. Right. I thought he's, and I remember him saying, you're going to need to make, I just slammed my hand. He slammed the, his hand on the table and said, you need to make $80,000 a year or you're not going to live in, you know, in, yeah. yes. And so I had that in my head and I thought I was mistaken where I, I under, I understood that he wasn't supportive of me doing the arts. I now see that I didn't express that to him. And so I did go to college and I didn't even go to a law school. I just did liberal arts at James Madison University. I chose film and television production as a major just because it was a little bit more in the vein of what I was interested in. But I didn't want to do production. I didn't want to direct that. I was terrible at that. Um, I didn't listen to my inner voice, which is, no, you want to act. I started off as a criminal justice major because I thought I wanted to go to Quantico and work for the FBI and do forensic pathology. And what I realized later was, no, I wanted to be Jodie Foster in, in Silence the of the Lambs <laughs> in the show. Because if I ever had to see a dead body, I would instantly be traumatized and probably never, never recover. But I thought that I wanted to work in forensics or for the FBI because I loved her in that role. Right. And so I did, I got the degree, but I really didn't apply myself. I drank, partied, hung out with people. And it was only like after college, I just, I remember going to a temp agency and I was li living with my parents at the time and they got me a job in customer service. Working so wait, for, what did you graduate mm -hmm. with then? Oh, uh, 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 mass communications. Oh, okay. So somewhere yeah. in the middle so, of all those things, it's like, okay, you can do yeah. business, but you are communicating with people. So you could be artsy, but you could. Yeah. You know, I had no life plan whatsoever. I also sang in a band in my freshman year too. Yeah, you did. And I remember going to studying abroad in Paris and I was I, I was just having the, a blast and I was failing political science because it was in French. And um, my teacher was like, here's another F on your paper. And I just threw, I threw the book across the room and said, it doesn't matter. I'm going to be a rock star anyway. And I like walked out all dramatic. I mean, first of all, had I ever played an instrument? Did I songwrite? Oh my God. No, but, but I, just I love like, your gusto, man. I'm into I it. I was like, I just don't want this life. I want to be a rock star. Um, but so yeah, then I uh, graduated and got a job at a customer service as a customer service rep, Uline Shipping Supplies. And I remember when I got hired, she said, it's $11 an hour. And I said, oh, my dad is going to be so happy. I thought $11 an hour was a lot of money. <laughs> and Immediately, I just started going, hello, Shannon, this is Shannon. How can I help you? And at a certain point, my dad sat me down and said, what are you doing here? What's, what's your plan? <laughs> and I was like, but I have a job as a customer service rep. Like, I don't, and he said, I don't think that's really who you are. Like, I don't, what do you really want to do? And he, and he said, you know what? I'm going to tell you what I think you should do. <laughs> he said, you should go to clown school. He goes, you're a clown. And he said, really? He goes, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I want to act. And he goes, then act. He's oh, I like, love then, him for that. 
I know. I had no idea because he's such a corporate man. You bring up such a good point because communication is a two-way street, right? And it's one of those things that I feel like, well, I feel like in the current climate, our youth is getting a very good dose of that. I think in some regard, social medias and things of that nature have given an outlet to younger voices to go, this is what I think, whatever that be. I do think there has been an era, many eras of the past where it's like, don't speak till you're spoken to, do as your parents say, you know, and then we always get these like revolutionaries who rise up against all of, you know, (laughs) everything. They're like, I don't want to be told what to do anymore. Um, But I do think we're getting to a place where that self-discovery is becoming more acceptable out loud, you know? Yes. But it's interesting that you brought that up because... I was thinking about this. I love your self-awareness of the fact that you were like, you know, here's my my sweet dad just going like, I think you should go to law school or I think you should go blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. You have these very clear skills that would suit a trade like that um, or an, a business element of that. And and any good parent worth their salt is going to definitely always try to guide or try to be a yeah. voice of reason or a starting place for their children. But the point you brought up of like, I had never expressed like I want to act. And I love that you went through this whole life journey of college and even, you know, threw a book, stormed out, I'm going to be a rock star. And and your dad finally is like, what are you doing? And only then did he look you and then go, what do you want to do? Like he grew with you in a sense. And by this point, you have the guts to say, I want to act. Yeah. And what was so wonderful, this there is actually a story in this too, but he said, listen, if this is what you want to do, he goes, all I ask is that you commit to it. Holy. Do it. He's like, if that's what you want to do, just say it. I think, and he goes, yes, yeah. I think that's the biggest thing ever from any mentor person in your life. When when people are talking about the, their dreams, when I talk with so many people about dreams and, and things that they want to do, the biggest part is the aftermath, which is now you've said it out loud, go do it. Right. And he said, I don't have it. Yeah. Right. He said, I paid for your sister's grad school. You didn't go to grad school. I paid for your voiceover classes. But actually that really speaks to how all of us are kind of put here for a reason. Mm -hmm. And we know, we, we know, even if we don't know it, what our purpose is. And I wasn't listening to my inner voice. So what happened was while I was working at Uline Shipping Supplies, I was in the lunchroom. It was very office space. It was all very, you have to clock out and clock in for lunch. And I was sitting in the break room and I saw an ad for voiceover school. I don't even know why, Candace. I I wasn't thinking about acting. I don't even know why. I just cut it out. Um, my coworkers always used to say that I did great impersonations of the that I would hang up and say, oh, I just talked to this person. And I would do the, I would just bust out a voice that I would do the character. Right. And they were like, you're so funny. You can do all these different impersonations. So I think that's must've been why I, I pulled it out of the paper. I cut it out. I put it in my purse. I got home that day living with my parents. My mom said, oh, um, I just, I cut, I saw this thing in the paper. I just cut it out for you. And it was the same exact ad for voiceover school. We'd never discussed voiceover. I didn't know that voiceover was a thing. I didn't know you could get paid to do voiceover. (laughs) But my mom and I both cut out the same ad the same day. And that's when my dad said, I will pay for this if this is what you want to do. That's amazing. And that's how, and that's how I started studying 
Yeah. And so when you got mm-hmm. into voiceover school, did the world feel like it opened up to you at that moment? Were you like, oh my gosh, yes. I am great. At, I do love yes. this. I, like this is an area of, of my creative capabilities that really feeds. I don't have to necessarily be on screen to perform and yes. be, you know, looked at if I don't want to be. But yep. I'm I'm in the character. I'm pursuing all of the emotive things that I love about acting, but just through my voice. Exactly. It was like, I had never done it before, but I thought, that sounds fun. And it was, I just remember that feeling of getting up in front of the mic. And it was a fun time. It was, um, it was, we were doing a lot of characters and they would give us scripts to read. And all of a sudden I'm like, you know, you just know, like, yeah, like when you're singing, you're like, like you get chills. I have them now talking about it. Like you just are like, oh my God, this is it. I didn't even know that I was missing this. And I remember my teacher pulled me out of, we, they had these evaluations where they would say, quit, don't quit your day job or <laughs> you, and you I, could really I, I do re- this. Yeah. Yeah. And I respected them because they did tell people, I don't want to take your money. Uh, you, you're not good at this. Just go. I mean, I, you know, I don't feel right encouraging this. And he said, you are going to be a huge voiceover star one day. And, and I was, it was like, this is what, I feel like this is what I'm going to do. And I remember him taking to a, us up to LA because it was in Orange County um, in Irvine. And he said, uh, we went up to, to just practice in a real studio. And the, and the engineer said, you're going to be a very big animation star one day. And I just thought, this is it. Like, I love this. And I would get up. I was so naive. I was in my 20s. I'm like, really? This is fun. Cool. I had no idea it would be competitive. I had no idea it was going to be at times hard. All I knew was this is it. I'm, I'm in. I kind of love, I wish we could bottle that moment, that naivete. That I wish Chill. every artist could bottle the moment where it feels completely undaunting, where it feels completely possible all the time. Yeah. And, and when somebody tells you like, you're going to dominate in this and you just go, okay, yeah, I am. Yeah. I wish Great. we could bottle that and then just drink it like an elixir every year. You know, just as like, a, yes. as you're, as you're trucking and going, you just have that reinstated confidence of like, yes, I can. Yes, I can. Because it's so funny. Once you get into the process of the work, which is where I want to go next, you do yes. realize, oh, wait, there's about a billion more of me's that have this same idea. And although yeah. no two voices are exactly the same, there are people that fit in my category. There are people. So how was that for you when you started to emerge into the business? How right. did you wake up to that? And how did you keep yourself, you know, interested and with a competitive mm-hmm. edge? How did you go into that process? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, well, I took my, I got a demo made and it was not a very good demo. And um, it just wasn't very current and well-produced. And I did, I, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. It wasn't very competitive. So in in this town, everyone's telling me what a big star I'm going to be. And I come up to LA and I through a friend, they're like, "Oh, we got you a. Um, I've got I've got a guy at Abrams Agency that mm. wants that'll meet with you." It was more like a fa- I don't know a favor I think, and I got in there, and the guy's like, "Yeah, you got some potential. Th- this demo's not going, you know, this demo's not going to work." And you need, he said, "And you got to bring us work. So like, tell us what you've done." And it was like the fact that oh. I even got into Abrams with. I was going to say that's a legit agency for real. <laughs> I know it's a legit agency, and it was like. I was sitting there having no clue. I was very comfortable there, but he kind of let me know that like, you're not, you're not there yet. 
you're not there yet. At least your demo's not, and you're not there yet until you can tell us what stuff you've done so that we can make money from you. And <laughs> and then, it, so everything I did was favors. Another friend of a friend got me in to do some voices on um, Pokey, the Pokemon cartoon. And it was just a day of, uh, and I just remembered, this is so fun. Like watching the little characters and saying, okay, you're going to be the mom. And so when she turns her head, just say, I, I remember my first line was like, oh, look, I've got a pretty pink dress. It was just something like that. And she's like, and in this one, you're the little kid in the background. And then it was like, hey, you know? And so I just kind of was like, oh my gosh. And I was on Pokemon, you know? It was just the background. It was just the background. But I got paid $800 for the day. And I was like, what? All I did was just a few funny voices and I got a big check. So And then you were going, yes, I really do think this is a great idea. (laughs) Yes, I really do. But what I didn't, and then I did get a, a different demo made. And, um, but I guess I and, I, and I actually was lucky to have found a wonderful woman who is still one of my champions, MJ Lalo. She, I, I went to a networking event. She listened to my demo. She said, I'll manage you. She got me one of the, a great agent, which was Tisherman Agency at the time. Um, I got right in there and it, I sort of had this, reverse thing where it wasn't like I had a slow climb. It was like I got in there and immediately I booked a huge, I came between me and one other person. This is a good story for for creatives. My, I get called in. He said, we're just going to hip pocket you for now, which means we're just going to see how you do before we officially sign you. Said first audition, he goes, look, they're, they're looking to replace Perry Gilpin for the Wells Fargo ads. They're not going to hire you because you're not a celebrity, but we just have to jump through the hoops. So do this audition. So I read it, my first audition out of the gate. And he calls me and he says, well, it's down to you. And they, they want you to come back. They're doing a paid callback. It was $500 to just go and read. So I'm like, okay, I have no idea what's going on. I go in there, I read, I never hear back. So maybe a month or two later, I, I go in, I said, what happened with that job? He goes, come, I want you to come for a walk with me down the hall. He goes, listen, it's nothing you did wrong. They did pick one of our other women, which was great. He goes, it was, he goes, you booked that call back out of 500 people. And he said, you came so close, but they just had, to, they said, we like them both. We're just going to eeny, meeny, miny, mow it. And yeah. she's going to get, and she got it. He goes, what I didn't want to tell you is that she just recorded 40 national spots for Wells Fargo, which is at the time, not today. I don't, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Oh, yeah, easy. I don't even like- Easy, because one was, spot is like 60 grand. It was like 20, th- yeah, <laughs> it can be. And I think I remember making 20 grand off one yeah. spot I did once. This does not happen Yeah, but on the national anymore. commercials, it just goes up and up and yeah. up and up and up. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, so he's I was like, I didn't want to tell you what you lost yeah. out on. <laughs> And I was like, that's, I mean, you know, just some life changing money for your 20s. I was broke. (laughs) I was broke at the time, broke. And it was like that hurt. But looking back, I can't believe I even got that that close. Yeah. And um, it's funny, you said far and I said close. It means the same thing. (laughs) Like, but uh, from that moment, he called me and said, I just want you to know you're my number one girl. Anything that comes in. So I just suddenly started working, 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 Um, not animation commercial. Yeah. Um, and, and which I mean pays really well. Commercials are a good place to be. <laughs> it is and that's actually what most agents want you to be if they 
If you can do animation, great. They already have their animation people. So they're not, when you go to, to an agent, mainly they want to know that you can book the money-making job. So, and really commercials are just talking like yourself. It's really just this. It's not acting. It's just telling a story. And um, I know I felt a little disappointed that I wasn't, I was auditioning for things like, I can't remember, I did like Futurama and stuff like that, but I wasn't booking those things. And I think part of me was like, but why am I not booking those things? And that's where I started to learn that the animation part is a different, is a different thing. There, I was good, but the people who do animation are a hundred times better. And not because I don't have the capability. Right. They work on dialect obsessively. They, they work, they make these character choices. They make very strong, it's not just about being able to voice the character. Right. You have to be someone who's like, I know what this character has that nobody's going to make this choice but me. Right. And that I wasn't am really my SpongeBob forte. SquarePants. I yes. am, you know, whoever these characters are. And it's I'm, not just a voice. Right. I'm treating it the same way I would a, you know, going into a film with James Cameron. Like I'm going to show up yes. having all the choices in my back pocket to create yep. a whole world. Yep. And I actually have to say that's not one of my strongest. Uh, I'm just not a wacky person. That's what I kind of found out is like, Nowadays, animation is not wacky and cartoony like it was back in the day. Now they really just want Sarah Silverman, and that's who they're hiring. Right. They don't want a Sarah Silver- Silverman type. They will just get Sarah Silverman. Right. Um, and and so, um, in fact, I took a workshop with um, the Phineas and Ferb creator, who is incredible. I'm he a fan does- of them because they have a character named Candace. Oh, and they well, sing a song all about she's not a praying mantis because she's Candace. And I was like, they managed to find a rhyme for Candace. That's amazing. Anyway, please continue. That's that an aside. Is. <laughs> well, and you know what he said to us? He said, I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm not going to hire any of you because I already have celebrities lined up trying who want to be on my show. And he didn't say it with any arrogance. No. It's just the fact. He animated, wrote scripts, wrote, composed the music. The guy illustrates. I mean, he he does everything. And I guess I didn't realize how hard you really needed to work to be an animation actor. It's not just being able to do a silly voice and be a cute little, you know. Yeah. It's it's so much more than that. And it's saying, what characteristic can I give this character that is like a little quirk? And so an example was we we did a, a script reading and he said, all right, the just read the script as this character. And the first line was, hi, Timmy. And so we all went, hi, Timmy. And the, he said, I'll tell you who, I'll tell you a story. He said, here's the script. And um, the person I cast for this role, here's why she got it. Everyone else came in and said, hey, Timmy. She went, hey, Timmy. Like she had an attitude. She was like, I have a crush on him. And she just, word, she's like, what is my attitude toward this? Do I have a crush on him? Do I hate him? And that's what a really good actor does. And I was lazy about that stuff where I was like, I don't want to write a character breakdown. I'll just, I know who this person is. You know, right. I get it. I get it. And you know, 
I can do it. I can be funny. But the person who's going to book the the job is going to be the one who creates the instincts. Yes. And it just comes up with some, you also have to know the competition. So when they are casting for The Simpsons, they are, they are, look, they go to all the best agencies in the nation. They say, send me your top five. And they send them the, the people who are working. And these people who are working are then competing against one another. And the one who's going to get it is the one who does something nobody else thought of. Yeah. So that was something I learned where I realized, oh, okay, so I'm not as competitive as I thought I was. All right, everybody. Today's episode is brought to you by The Raven Cafe, located at 142 North Cortez Street in historic downtown Prescott, Arizona. I love this place. I eat there all the time. And let me tell you why. The Raven Cafe features a full, all-organic espresso bar and a wide variety of craft beers and wines. Their innovative menu is created with a focus on organic ingredients, many of which come from local sources. So head on over there. Enjoy a relaxing and comfortable environment decorated with rotating art shows by local and regional visual artists. And on the weekends, a lineup of the best in up-and-coming local music. You don't want to miss out on the Raven Cafe. It's absolutely one of my favorite spots in town. So head on over to ravencafe.com and order online or stop by to catch a happy hour on their beautiful rooftop patio. so interesting. And what I love about um, your realizations as far as the different places to use your voice is that I think it's really important to have the self-awareness to not be discouraged by finding something maybe that you don't either enjoy doing as much or that maybe isn't a natural skill set where it's a much more work for you to put those flares and those intentions and those ideas and those character things. There are people who totally get off on that. Like that is the thing that they love. And what I love about you retelling these experiences is that so often I think we choose to go, oh, it wasn't me or, oh, I didn't think of that. Where I love hearing you, I find this so motivational, is that you're going, I realized that's not the part I love the most. Like, I realized that that's not what I get excited about doing. Instead of being like, oh, it's a put down to me, it's like, no, now I'm clearer on the fact that maybe I'm really good at lifestyle voiceover, like commercial voiceover, humanistic life, you know, um, voiceover. And and in doing so, continually honing the skills you're great at instead of going... I need to be able to do all of it as good as everyone else. It's going, oh, you know what? Maybe I'm not the person that instinctly wanted to put in, whether it's instinctly or just the effort to go, hey, Timmy, you know, like, uh-huh. I didn't want to put in that work. And, and yeah. you know, I know that I can show up for Wells Fargo and go, would you like extra checks on yeah. time? You know? <laughs> and it's easy for me. Yeah. And it's you effortless enjoy it. and it's right. easy. Yep. Right. And that's so true. And I, I think... What I learned is I really, I did a lot of video games for a long time because video games aren't as, they're fast. You don't have time to create a character. I mean, when you're a, when it's a very popular video game, yes, and they really are looking for the right person. I've done over 40 video games. And when you do a video game session, literally it's say this line three times, ABC, you know, and it's like, hey, watch out. Hey, watch out. Hey, watch out. And that's it. Right. There's no acting. I mean, it's not like your motivation is this. And right. you come, you do get a breakdown. And I always find it amusing because it's like, 
the breakdown will be like, you come from the land of Arthinia and you have been oppressed by your... And I always go, blah, 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 blah. I don't, I don't <laughs> need all that. I mean, I really don't need all that because I know that I'm a warrior. I know that I'm fighting for my life and my my country and I'm trying to save people. Right. I'm, I'm kind of like, I'm not kind of a geek that I don't really... I mean, I say that with affection. Yeah. I don't mean it like I as a negative. I just... I'm it's not, not a the fantasy. thing that gets you going. Yeah. Yeah. But I, but I book a lot because I... I love to act and I know how to rein in the be, tones be, and the feels. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I do uh, film dubbing for foreign films as well. And I can be reading a script and start crying because it's an emotional scene and it comes through in my voice. Whereas on camera, I would have to sort of force tears to come out of my face and right. that whole thing. Um, I mean, a good actor won't force it, but it's right. it, for me, it's very difficult. But when I'm doing video game and I'm, behind the microphone, I can very easily get very emotional or um, because I'm like you mentioned earlier, when I was a child, my own private right. room was where I put on my dress up clothes and pretended to act and right. did little comedy sketches with my sister. And so I feel very safe expressing myself in those ways. And um, even doing a dubbing for a, it was like a Kung Fu, some kind of a kung fu movie where I was like sex trafficked and had to save my little brother. And at the end of the movie, she's hunched over her lover who's safe, of course, saved her because it's this was, you know, only made a few years ago, but it's about the hero who comes in and saves her. I I looked, I was watching the movie while I'm doing the voice, and I just start sobbing because I was like, he was so dreamy <laughs> and they were so in love. He was her ticket out of there. But it's, I can do that. Just, that's just my skill set is I'm more able to video games. It's fantasy. So it doesn't have to be perfect. I right. think I also do British accents for video games, but I won't do it for a corporate narration because I can't promise you that I'm going to be completely authentic. But if I'm an elf, I once right. played a British elf. It's like, she's not really from England. She's in a fantasy world. So her accent doesn't have to be spot on right. um, for her to be believable. So I love doing video games. Um, and I, the only reason I don't do more of them is just because of the vocal strain that it entails. Which I want to get into yeah. because this is a huge, and this is what also has led to a whole new chapter of your life as well, which I find yeah. so fascinating and intoxicating. I love it. Um, yeah. Your voice is your monetary, this is your business. This is the thing yeah. you do. Like you just casually go like, oh, over 40, you know, video games. Oh, over 40 international films. Oh, over, I mean, that's a lot of yeah. speaking with intention. Um, yep. And as any singer or voice artist or author that does audiobooks as well, you know, anybody that is using their voice specifically to make their living, your vocal health is very important. As so, it turns out. Yes, as it turns out. So walk me through some of yeah, and this I, journey. And <laughs> yeah, and it's a long one, so I'll spare you all the medical details. But um, I'll just kind of say that a couple of years ago, I started to notice my voice starting to catch. I was having a lot of phlegm in my throat. One client said, it sounds like you're growling at the... It was a, it was a children's commercial for Enfagrow. See, grow. Yeah. And um, I was going, Enfagrow. And she's like, can you just smooth that out? And I couldn't do it. Yeah. And um, it was for like PBS or something. And 
I started to be like, ah, ah, something's weird. I went to an ENT. He's like, yeah, you've got a little bit of, um, looks like you have reflux. Had no symptoms. He's like, take some antacids. You'll be fine. So started to get a little better, but then it was still happening. Went to voice therapy, couldn't figure out what it was. Then one day, all of a sudden, I found that I was having trouble breathing. I thought I was having an asthma attack. My, uh, I was talking like this and I'm like, what is going on? My doctor sent me to the ER. Long story short, what we didn't know is that I had developed what's called SIBO, which is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, which happens from taking antibiotics um, and happens from food poisoning. And a lot of other things can cause it, but it was causing reflux to come up in my vocal cords. And then I was having, um, and then my vocal cords became hypersensitive. So they were actually spasming. So instead of a fluid wave motion, they were quivering and snapping shut when I was trying to speak or breathe. So they were doing the opposite of what they were supposed to do. Well, not I didn't know this. My, nobody knew what the problem Which, was. Which, by the way, when, again, yeah. when you're a voice actor and your monetary reliance is on your business and all of a sudden you can't, the stress of that doesn't help oh. the situation either. Well, let me tell you about that. Because you don't that. know what's going on and you're like, why isn't it working? Why can't I work, you know? Yeah, I had. I remember a guy saying, "Oh, I just have one line for you. Can you just read it?" And I was like, the, and I'm like, "What is going on?" And it turned out I had I was having vocal cord dysfunction from reflux, and because I had to strain to speak, and then I was also highly stressed out because suddenly I'm like, I don't have an income. I developed a secondary vocal disorder called muscle tension dysphonia, which is what Shania Twain had when she had Lyme disease. And um, actually, um, it happens when you have MS as well. And basically, all of your voicing muscles tense up. That and it is feels like you're, what happened to Linda Ronstadt, too, because she I has MS and she can't, the, the tension on her cords, she can't physically, I mean, she can sing, but she yeah. cannot physically sing in any capacity of what she used to because she can't no. control that dysphonia. Yeah, and it hap- it's, it becomes a chronic tension and then it becomes a mind-body connection where your brain remembers the improper pathways and every time you go to speak, your voice goes like this and it's like you're in a vice. So that was a long two-year voice therapy, medical stuff, I now am back to to doing voiceover um, with a lot more, with actually in a better way because I'm learning to just use my natural voice. Um, and that's training your brain after, I don't know, 15 years of getting copy, looking at it and being like, I know how this should sound. You know, does your baby, da, da, da. Yeah. I can't do that anymore. Now I just have to say, hey, Candace, does your baby need Enfagro? Uh, because, and that's actually what books more. And when I listen back to what I did before, I was trying too hard and I was using a voiceover voice. Well, I would imagine that's a stylized, you know, I, I think with everything, you know, styles come in and out. And I would imagine yes. there was a certain time period where the style was yep. to have someone who could speak just like so. And there was. we're in an era now where maybe the more natural voice is the style of of that people are drawn to. It feels more authentic. It feels like you're not pushing a good on me. Yeah. You know, I really want to buy something from this person because they sound like they could be my friend. Maybe. I don't know. That's what every voice actor should know. Anyone interested is that it isn't about what you sound like. It's not, oh, my mom, my mom's friend said I have a good voice. It's 
you can have really any voice as long as you can be authentic, as long as your voice doesn't have some really unusual, distracting, uh, you know, characteristics. I've heard some some really interesting voices in my time where I'm like, maybe not that voice. (laughs) Yeah. And really all it is, is it's not about the booming radio voice anymore. It's about, do you believe me? And you'll hear a lot of commercials now where like Warby Parker, I I, I write these down because I watch them for inspiration to retrain myself to go, oh, okay, this person sounds untrained. They're just going, hey, I wanted to get my glasses, so I went to Warby Parker. And I have to actually, it's almost like a make under, you know, when I'm like, oh, and I'm constantly working on doing less and teaching other people and coaching other people do less. And isn't it interesting? It's beautiful that the timing of that is right when you're in a place where that's the part of your voice you really can use. Yeah. With with all the knowledge you've gained from the medical traumas. Oh my gosh. I can't even, I honestly can't even fathom. It happened to me in my whole career of singing maybe twice, but really only this last couple weeks ago, I had to perform and between allergies and my child like coughing in my mouth and getting my my voice went <laughs> away and i couldn't physically speak uh. but i could manage to sing which was interesting just a different usage of the chords yes and so we had we had to play the show that had been set up for months and it was outside which made it worse because it was all pollen and elements yeah. and then it got really cold and windy and i literally had to turn to uh my my co-bandmate person who was playing for me and and be like, can you do all the talking? I physically can only get out X amount of notes and that's all I've got in the tank. And But I'd never experienced the stress. This is the point I'm making. Yeah. The mental anxiety that comes with not being able to do the thing you've always been able to do is horrifying. It was way more devastating than I would have ever imagined. I went into a deep, dark hole of grief um, I was grieving my health. I had also lost so much weight. I was 102 pounds and I'm a small person yeah. um, because I couldn't eat anything other than liquids. And even then reflux would come up. So, And the reflux, that's the other thing I wanted to ask you because you had yeah. told me this. It wasn't just like, oh, she has a little acid reflux. It was like methane. No. Was that right? Yes. It, I, mine is methane overgrowth. And also I had, I would lie down at night and acid would pour into my sinuses and it was in my ear canals. It was everywhere. It was getting into my lungs. I mean, and so whenever someone says, oh, it's just reflux. You're like, I now understand. It's not just reflux. Some people get just a little reflux because they ate some pizza. That's not what this was. This was like I can't breathe and I'm sick and my st- I had gastritis and I was yeah, skinny your body's and I turning against talk. you. And I didn't know why because doctors weren't getting to the root of it and so but the worst part was having to turn down voiceover work and finally I said I I, I can't I literally cannot do it and having come from a place of lack for my whole life at least in my own belief system but I was only when I, I, later in life, did I start making money doing voiceover because there was a whole 10-year period where it kind of stopped happening for me and I went and got day jobs and I was, the way I met you was I became a music booker. I was right. babysitting. I was doing all these odd jobs, catering for low pay. And I loved the jobs, but I never could make an adult amount of money because when I, like I said, in 2008, when I was really with that agency and doing really well, everything was great. And then the economy crashed. And then for 10 years, I barely worked. 
And my agent was like, it's just the way it is now. It's just, it's not going to be the same ever again. And so I gave up. And so I had just gotten back into it. I had just started making six figures for the first time in my life. And I took myself to Costa Rica and I was like, my life is, I am having the best life ever. And then all of a sudden I lost my voice and was like, what am I going to do now? So I did have a very, very dark night of the soul um, where I was like, I, I am not going back to temping. The music club had closed, but even then I didn't want those late nights and the stress, the constant having to, and the low pay to do a full-time job. I was working in commercial casting and I loved it, but it, it, it burned me out really fast. And it was a lot of talking. So I was like, I can't go back to that. Um, so I just sat there going, I don't know what I'm going to do with my, it's my identity. It's my financial that's, stability. That's a big one too. Cause on top of being a financial stability and I have experienced this in my own life, but you do, you become Shannon, the voice actor. Yes. You know what I mean? Uh, Candace, the singer. It is yeah. the thing that it is directly associated with who you are as well yep. as what you do. So when something like that goes away, you do look in the mirror and you go, I don't even know who I am without this because yeah. I have always introduced myself as, oh, I'm a singer or, oh, I'm a voice mm -hmm. actor or here's my card if you ever need voiceover work or allow yep. me to send you a demo. I mean, everything wraps and revolves around this entity of your life because it is an income source for you. Yeah. But it also is very much a part of who you are because you love it. And all of a sudden now it. you go, am I Shannon the booker? Am I Shannon the babysitter? Am I Shannon the commercial agency? Like, like it doesn't sit the same way. So then you have to really have a yeah. sit down with yourself and go, who am I without this? What does this yeah. look like? Who am I becoming? How do I do, how do I make a left turn? And I had always said through my whole life, along the lines of that kid who was like, I'm going to be a rock star. I always said, I want a job that I don't have to go to. And I finally found it in voiceover. Only I wanted to go to it. Every, I would jump out of bed at 8 a.m. and be like, I'm ready. What do I have today? Like, first time in my life, I was excited to go to work. Yeah. And, but I didn't have to go to work. I did. I became a workaholic because it was like, suddenly I was in demand. I was doing 40 auditions a day. I was, and this is part of why I also developed muscle tension dysphonia. Clients were like, texting me around the clock. Can you do this by, by, by mid, by whatever time? And I never said no. I was just like, yes, 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 I will do it. Can you sound old? Can you sound young? I was bending my voice and my energy and I wasn't working out my, I wasn't doing vocal exercises. I wasn't saying, thank you for that script. I'll get it for you tomorrow. I'm a little booked right. up today. I would stay up till midnight every night and like even when my voice was hurting, I would keep going. So this is a second component to how I lost it. Yeah. Um, and so overwork. It, overwork because yeah. it was such a joy to do it, but also the money was so good. And it's like, oh, you'll pay me $1,000 to read three sentences? Oh, right. So, you know, it was my dream job. Yes. And so when I lost my voice and I really, for a while, I was babysitting and I couldn't even sing Twinkle Twinkle to the kids. I could barely read to them. Um, somebody asked me, well, what if you could do anything else with your life other than voiceover, what would it be? And I was like, Noth literally nothing. And I said, well, you know what I'd want to do? I'd want to become a psychic medium, but dead people aren't talking to me. So that's not happening. 
I was like the now only me, other let job. Let me ask you because I, yeah. I, there is somebody listening somewhere that was like, excuse me, wait, what? I did not yes. see that coming. Yes. Because um, you and I have, again, talked about this before. It was through a lot of this loss that you started to kind of connect to your spirituality. That yes. was a transformational time because of some needing to lean into something you could yeah. have faith in or at least dive yourself into. Correct? Am I saying that Correct. correctly? Okay. Correct. And And I wasn't always, I mean, I was actually pretty borderline, like in high school, atheist for sure. I, I was agnostic and I had experiences, but so I, I think I was open, but I think to some degree I was pretty agnostic about it and was never, certainly never religious and I'm still not. But So what was the I, catalyst of like, mm-hmm. if I could be a psychic medium, had you been yeah. in, a, in a scenario where that impacted you? Had you seen somebody like, where did you yeah. make this come into your life? Um, Long Island Medium, watched her show, watched John Edwards' show, watched Tyler Henry. I just binge-watched those shows. I found them so fascinating. Then my voice coach, Alyssa Weinzimmer, who's a great voice coach for, uh, she's not a therapist, but she is someone that also, she had planned to be a Broadway performer and ended up with muscle tension dysphonia. So she focuses on releasing your voice and authenticity and learning. And she said, I want you to, before we even get into the logistics, read The Power of Now, start doing yoga every day, meditation. First, let's calm your nervous system. Let's take kind of, she didn't say spiritual, but it. I noticed that when I was doing those things, I was starting to tap into something and feel calmer and safer. And I started to read books written by mediums and um, that sort of thing and started to read books that said, oh, anyone can be a medium. And I was like, wait, they can? I mean, obviously, if you believe it. Um, I know people who don't will will not agree with me, but um, then I ended up saying, well, why don't I take a class? So I studied with some like high-profile mediums. And um, one of the things too was I was at such rock bottom that I went to a couple of mediums and two of them said to me, you lost your voice because you're meant to do what I do. And I said, how? I mean, I don't, I don't (laughs) receive messages from any, and they're like, no, no, you're a medium. Like, and then I went to a psychic and she said, I'm getting something. I went to her like last year and she she goes, I'm getting something I don't usually get. And she said, you, do you know that you're a powerful medium? And I was like, I want to be one, but I didn't know that I could. And then once I learned again, this, take this however you will. Some people, if you don't believe it, I respect that. Um, but from what I've learned, we are all mediums. We all are souls and we all have the ability to connect with the other side because the other side isn't really anywhere else. It's just in a different dimension, but it's actually right alongside us. And the, what being a medium is, is it's being able to translate the messages from the spirit world and pass it on to the living. And the only thing that makes me different from anyone else is that I've trained to learn how they communicate. And they communicate through images, thoughts. It feels like your own thought. It feels like your own image. But it's about meditating, training your brain, and practicing with other people to see if what you're getting is correct. So you know you're not making it up. And then after you do lots and lots and lots of readings, you start to think, Somehow I'm getting yeses across the board. I'm saying, I, you grew up by the beach. And they'll say, yes, 
how did you know? Well, I, I just know it. Yeah. And you start to know that that's what spirit is. It's your intuition. It's, you can call it mediumship. You can call it intuition. It's animals have it. It's how dogs and cats know there's an earthquake coming and they start acting strange. It's how you know someone behind you is staring at you. It's how you know when someone's going to call or some catast- or when someone you love dies, you just get a feeling. We all have it. We just don't pay attention to it. We don't believe in it. Or we don't spend time in meditation and still our minds enough to receive the information. Now, I'm not going to say that I'm right now I'm not a working medium, but what I knew was this is all I want to read about, watch YouTube videos about. Um, I was watching near-death experiences, and I just started to feel like this is I'm obsessed with this stuff. And that's when I said, well, during this time, I was getting my voice back, um, but it was still... You know, it's, I, I just, like you were saying about Linda Ronstadt, it's, I do voiceover still. I've learned my limitations now. Now I actually, I'll do a video game if it's not screaming and yelling because that'll trigger right. the voice disorder. It gets triggered very easily. So I could be stressed. I could be, not have enough sleep. I could have post-nasal drip and it'll happen again. So now I know if I can't just talk like this, don't give me that job where it's like, we need gravitas. Right. <laughs> because if I do any kind of push up, there go the muscles tensing again. So I've learned to say no to jobs that don't fit me instead of trying to make my voice bend into, oh, yes, I can do Alison Janney. Yes. Kaiser Permanente. All day. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. And then now I go, that's not my voice. Yeah. My voice is up here and I sound younger than I think I do. And so I decided, well, I wanted to do a podcast for a long time because I love expressing myself and I love connecting with people the way that you do. And so I started a podcast, which is called Magic is Real, where I interview, I started off interviewing mediums and I still have some coming up, but I interview near-death experiencers, psychic mediums. I interviewed an astrologer, a manifesting coach, really anything spiritual, but I'm focused, my focus is on near-death experiences because having gone through such a dark, I mean, we've all gone through dark nights of the soul. If you're alive, you've experienced loss, grief, trauma, divorce, you know, emotional problems and losses of jobs. And the one thing that I love about hearing people's near-death experiences the most is that it really centers me to realize Everyone I interview explains that when they left their body, they were like, oh, that's not real. My soul self and this soul reality is the reality. In this earthly form, in our human forms, we are just here to learn. That's why we suffer. Not Nobody's punishing us. Our souls choose our journey because they're like, somebody described it as God's, the wink of God. I think he called it Peter Panagor. He died in an um, from hypothermia. Out, he was out in the he has an amazing story, and uh, he he said it's like you realize that everything that's happening here on Earth is like the blink of an eye on this when you're in the spirit world. Here, it's a hundred years, right? You know, give or take. On the other side, it's like oh, I'm just going to go down there for a minute, experience some shit, and then I'm going to. Come, come back. back and I'll be more evolved because I will have learned and grow and grown. 
And so I really try to remind myself, this is just a visit. It's temporary. It's temporary. And, you know, I'm going through some a life change right now that's been, there's grief involved. And I, it's really helping to just say, listen, feel that grief. Let yours, don't escape from it, which is what I used to do. Um, I used to do use escapism, addiction, and that sort of thing to escape. Now I can sit with it and say, okay, this hurts. Let me observe my grief. What can I learn from this grief? And know that this is just all I just got. See, and I'll tell you, I just got spirit, what I call spirit tingles when they say, yes, yes, girl, <laughs> you get it. And um, it's it's just opened my mind up so much too. And I, I my, my purpose is to bring that message to people that, Listen, it doesn't mean things here aren't going to be terrible. I mean, it doesn't mean that I'm not going to minimize anyone's grief when they experience loss or illness or something scary. That's the human experience. And you need to feel it, acknowledge it, let it happen. I mean, let your emotions happen. But at the end of the day, there is no death. And I think that takes such fear out of when we live our lives from a love-centered place instead of a fear-centered place. Amen on that. Everything changes. What I find so fascinating about talking to you in general, but especially today, is that there is such a, um, you have such an incredible, like, cycle that your life has provided, or this journey, I suppose. Coming from a place of being a highly sensitive person out of the womb, Mm -hmm. somebody who, for all intents and purposes, figured out safety in solitude, you know, in quiet, to then becoming throughout your journey a person whose voice was the thing that created a lifestyle for you, created an identity for you. That in its own self is an incredible arc. But then to have that taken away or that loss come again, and going back into a place of not being able to communicate from the same capabilities to open up a door into a spiritual realm that is allowing you then to now have a voice again in a podcast, but a a more natural centered you voice opposed to a more authentic voice. You know what I mean? I think it's such a fascinating circle for you um, that is ongoing and and far more evolution to come, I'm sure. But it's, it's so interesting to see up into this point how something so landmark in your life from such a young age has gone through this whole trajectory spin to come back to a place that is really the most authentic version of you. You said that so beautifully. Oh, I love how you do that. And I <laughs> that's what I want to say Thank is you. that what's so cool is I see that too now yeah. that it's almost like a screenplay that God wrote. And you know, I believe God is source, it's the source of all things. Um, and God is love and we are all part of God. I don't, you know, I, I, I don't subscribe to, um, sort of the religious rules and and dogmas. I believe that God is everything. God is love. We are God. And what I love is that when things happen, even now, like I said, I'm going through a, a little bit of a difficult patch, but it's, I can see, excuse me, (laughs) I can see, I just, um, I can see that it's all sort of coming together in the perfect way. And I'm like, and it's so cool because as I was going through this major life change and I'm about to move across the country, I'm like, 
I saw, I started to see angel numbers. When I started to think, I think I need to change the, this direction. I started to see, if you don't know what that is, it's like we believe, spiritual people believe that um, angels will send you signs, spirit guides um, and loved ones to get your attention. And every time I look at the clock, it's 11-11 or it's 2 yeah. or it's 3 3 and it has been even just before we got on the phone, I looked up, I was like, what time? Oh, it's 11, 11. Of course it is. As I was writing my change of address form and I'm like, it's, I could feel them too going, pushing me, like I'm pushing you out of your comfort zone, but we got your back and you start to see all these signs. And I'm like, you know, what's so funny is even though this is hard because I'm having to let go of some things in my old, uh, I'm letting go of a long-term relationship. I'm letting go of um, who a I home. was. Yeah. I'm a home. I'm letting go of my 25 years in LA, it's like I'm starting a whole new life. And it's, I know it's time. I felt it for a long time. I felt that, that push, but it's like, yes, I have to go through a lot of sobbing and a lot of grief and it, and it hurts, but this is the first time I've ever felt grief where I'm actually so, taking it all in. And I'm like, this is all part of the growth. And I'm excited because I'm like, I get it. This was my soul's path. I know what you're doing. You're shit. You're going, okay, this was that chapter and you're going to have to say goodbye to it. But this is a whole new opportunity. And before I probably would have just thrown myself in a heap and been like, life is too hard. I can't, it's hard to be a person. I can't do it anymore. I can't go through any more pain. I was, I'm like, okay, I'm going to some, that's how life goes. It ebbs and it flows. You feel pain, you feel joy. And if it weren't that way, preach. One of my guests who had a near-death experience wrote me this beautiful, she's a, she's a relationship therapist named Leslie Lupo, and she died when she was trampled by a stampede of horses. So you got to listen to oh that one. Oh my gosh, I will be yeah. checking that one out. It's my ASAP. favorite. It's, it's actually one of my favorite interviews. And she said something about how, you know, that's what life is. That's what it is. It's all of it. It's the grief. It's the pain. It's the joy. It's the sorrow. And she said, if we didn't ever feel those things, we would never grow. And she said, I can't imagine anything more horrific or something. She said, and I was like, that's what I'm trying to embrace is, yeah, if I didn't feel this, I wouldn't have anything to compare it to. So when things are, when I'm in joy, if I were always in joy, I would, wouldn't, I would take it for granted, but it's with the tears and having felt that pain and that grief that when things are good, you're like, I am so lucky and life is so beautiful. And so it's the contrast that gives us growth and it's the contrast that helps us appreciate when things are flowing. And now I'm doing my podcast and I love it. I am doing voiceover again. I am getting to go back home where I'm from to the East Coast, which I've wanted for many, many, many years. Um, And it's an exciting, now I can do all of it, but I've learned to do it all in a more balanced way. You know, now I'm not doing 40 auditions a day. I'm like, you know, yeah. you got to, I have to be gentle with myself. Life isn't just about doing voiceover. It's also about your spiritual life and your home relationships, life, right? Relationships with other people. And I'll just, you know, kind of end there saying that you and I went to Sedona I know, together, was so which was, we sat in the, the vortex. We did the best, again, sort of 
We got this just for people listening. We got this incredible Airbnb that I probably stole you money for. Um, no, and you we, do not. And we open, <laughs> we open the the doors and we're just like looking at these incredible red rocks that were just monumentally stunning. I mean, the whole thing was flawless top to bottom. Ma- flawless top to bottom. And it came at the exact time. And I just, and it really was one of those moments where I said, I am fully present in this moment. Like I've just gone through a breakup of an eight-year relationship. I'm, and if this had been 10, 15 years ago, I, I would have had to cancel the trip because I would have been too distracted by my own anxiety and grief to even be present with you. And I was like, I am so full of joy right now because I'm feeling, I think I said this to you, I'm able to feel the grief and the joy simultaneously. I was able to bask in your mama bear energy, enjoy the beauty of nature, connect with a fellow like-minded soul, and also, and be sick to my stomach and feel in the middle of the night and crying, but then having the most beautiful day and so much joy and excitement. And I was like, this is all God wrote this screenplay for me. Totally. It's like, here, and then I get to go home and yes, I'm going to still do voiceover and it's not, and it's good. And I'm even, like you said, I'm, I'm, I've learned to be better at voiceover by not trying to fit myself into a mold I don't belong in, into and, and be like, no, if, if, if I can't read this copy in my own voice, then I'm not going to take the job. And so it's all about finding my voice. Yeah. and and your self awareness yeah. and your balance and and all of it and and yeah. feeling all of it it's incredible. May I yeah. ask you a few questions? I like to ask all my guests. You may. Okay. Having had this m- incredible ride that you've been on, what is one thing you would tell your younger self? Oh yes, um, it's funny. Someone actually asked me to write an essay on this for their <laughs> parenting magazine, and I did. And I think. I I it I don't know if it would be a, a specific phrase, but it was like the Wizard of Oz when, at the end of the movie, she says to, Dorothy says to Glinda, "I just want to go home," and she said, "But you've been able to go home this whole time. You've had the you've had the ruby slippers." Oh my gosh! I just got <laughs> choked my choked myself <laughs> up and got chills. It's I, love it. I wish that I knew that I was a special being just inherently by being a soul. I wish that I, and I don't want to say wish, I just say I would tell myself, you are lovable, you are perfect, you are beautiful, and you, there's no need to feel fear because rest you are easy. completely, sub, rest easy, you are supported, honey. You are beautiful because you are unique and you are a soul. And I say that to all human beings. It's, you are, you are here for a reason. Your soul is put here for a specific purpose. You don't have to be a movie star. I thought I was going to be an animation star. I am not an animation star. I've done a couple of, like a few, few cute, like good projects, um, and, but not any cartoons on TV. And I am at peace because I realized it's not about, you know, being on a panel at Comic-Con or whatever, even though that would be fun. It's about the fulfillment. It's about the fact that I could take myself to Costa Rica for 10 days by myself because I was doing what I loved and I had the money and I was able to enjoy life. I love it. I love it. I love that that it's such a universal message. I I mean, I love that you would tell your younger self that, but I love that you're able to say that to everybody right now. And so confidently, you know, what a great gift to have that outlook and knowledge now. And that's the point of the journey, you know? 
everyone, and I just want to add that everyone, it doesn't matter if you're a movie star or a, a tailor or um, a sanitation worker or whatever it is, you're, if you, as, as long as you do that thing with love or at least appreciation and gratitude and you really find something to enjoy in your work, but more importantly, if you're a good friend to people, if you're, you know, you show up for other people, it doesn't matter what you do for a living. It's really like, that's the important stuff. And you are special just because you give love and you receive love and that's it. What I couldn't agree more. I have nothing to add to that. I think that was flawless yeah. and beautiful. Um, what would you say specifically career-wise? And I think we know the low, but I take this opportunity, yeah. please. What would you say has been a career high for you? And what would you say has been a career low? Yeah, I think, like I said, it wasn't necessarily like a job. Right. Like, oh, I got on The Simpsons, or which is what I thought it would be. Right. Um, the, the career high was when I was working steadily, making a really good, really good paycheck every day um, and getting to go, like I just that feeling of, hey, you booked a job. Can you be at the studio? And driving down to the studio and getting up in front of the mic and playing, like getting to have fun and then get a paycheck. It's like, what do you mean? How <laughs> This is amazing. amazing. Yeah, like you're paying me to be some character in it. it and, and also, and but I will say one specific thing is that even though I never became an animation star or was the lead on The Simpsons. Yes. I mean, that's the, yes. that's the yes. other thing too. Is yes, that- <laughs> right. Not yet. Is that, there one I hadn't done animation and I was other than some little little independent projects which were great one day I I booked a job uh, that I didn't realize was going to be what it was and it turned out that it was for Nintendo they were launching their new Star Fox game and they were doing they had done an animated cartoon it was like a 15 minute cartoon called Star Fox the Battle Begins and it was internet only and they just wanted a voice match for Slippy the Toad. So I just turned it in thinking it was nothing. Um, and then they're like, yeah, we're, we're going to hire you. So I, it was, it had been anime. So it had been done in, in Japanese. So went in to do the dubbing. And it was the first time where I actually got to voice like a lead character, even though it was a 15 minute vignette. It was an anime little movie to, as the, the promo launch. Awesome. And it, that thing got like a million views in one day and I saw it and I cried because it wasn't about the accolades because not that I got any, I mean, from, you know, no one knew who I was. It was the fact that I'm watching my little character, this little frog with my voice coming out of it, like in a space battle and like it's amazing. being funny. <laughs> and I was like, I even, it wasn't even like that. The pay wasn't even that great. It was about the fact that I I got to be in a, this was my bucket list. And so it was like, for me, it was a huge, huge, huge thing that I'm so proud of and that I loved doing. Totally. Like no one knows who I am unless they, they could look it up, but I'm like, no one would even know I did it. And it was my proudest moment. My career low, I think we've covered the fact that it was (laughs) losing my voice completely, but I will also say that's a career high because of where it led to me. And I kept praying during that time and saying, I know you're trying to redirect me, but I don't get it. And I'm pissed. And I remember screaming in my booth one day, like screaming because I was so angry and punching the walls in in this booth because I was like, how is it that you gave me this gift and then you just take it and then I'm not allowed to do it anymore? That doesn't make sense. This is what I was born to do. This is what I was supposed to do. And it took me long enough to get there. And now you're taking it away. Well, as I say, God had other plans, which was 
But guess what? Tune into some other stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You're also meant to be a healer and support other people and um, help bring them evidence that their loved ones in spirit are not dead. They're just in another form. And so, and you're never, and that death is just an illusion. And so I was just being reshaped into a better version of myself and then allowed to do voiceover again once I figured that out. I love it. I love it so much. Um, What would you say? has been or is currently or has it changed for you the definition of success the definition of success like i said i think it's balance but i think the definition of success is being is more about being a person who lives with integrity who is of service to other people who shows up for their loved ones who's willing to love them really most of all I think the definition of success is really truly learning to love yourself because it's that expression, put your own oxygen mask on first. Mm -hmm. Because if you, and it sounds so cliche, I know, but it's not just about looking in the mirror and doing Jessica's affirmations. I love my life. I love my job. I love my hair. It's not about like looking in the mirror and saying, Candace, I love you. It's not a mantra. It's a really, it's respecting yourself. And I think that that comes through acts of service, making choices with integrity, being an honest person, showing love and just being love. I think that really is the definition of true success because, again, I look at it from a soul perspective that your soul, your soul's purpose is to come here and to learn to love and to learn to overcome adversity. Well, and also I just would like to add, it's not easy. You know, no. if it were easy, everyone would be like, oh, I just love everything. I love everybody. I mean, there is work to achieve that honest version of yourself, to be yeah. to, to become somebody who can look across the room and even see a nemesis or someone you don't care for and go, not my favorite person, but I'm going to give them, I'm going to love at them. I'm going to love toward yes. them. I am going to, even though they repulse me, I am going to choose to reflect back my version of myself and my energy. And I'm not going to let that drag. There's work in there. So the the fact that it is successful is because you are putting in the work to become the person who can have enough, you know, capability of saying to separate the two instead of being venomous to someone you don't like to say, this may not be someone I appreciate for a number of reasons. I am choosing to have a different outlook toward them or to behave differently toward them that reflects who I am. And that is yeah. successful. When you can get to a place where you can choose to be a better version of yourself as much as possible, <laughs> yeah, that is success. It, it really is. Yeah. And I'd like to add, to, that was beautiful, Candice, as always. Um, I think to me, success isn't being a perfect person. It's not, oh, I grew up in and I had no traumas. And then I went to the best college and I got a job and I became successful on Wall Street or, or, or anything. I mean, or even being a super famous rock star because we see how a lot of that ends. It's, it's not about what you do or your achievements. Um, it's really about like so many people I've interviewed, um, have, and, and myself included, it's like they've come from, um, addiction or, you know, like, if you knew me in my 20s, I was not the person I am now. Right. I actually surround myself with people who have been through adversity and who also have 
not make good choices in their lives and who have done selfish acts and who have been drug addicts or users. I have friends who've been in prison. One of my best friends was in prison. and, And the thing that I respect about that person the most is that it takes so much more character to go from having a traumatic childhood, becoming a drug addict, ending up in prison, to making a choice that when I get out of prison, I am going to change my life. And I'm going to go out there and I'm going to get therapy and I'm going to, it's going to be hard. I have no money. I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to figure out what I want to do and make and become a successful person and, and, um, you know, whatever, become spiritual, not, um, maybe just volunteer somewhere, but it's the people who've had to come out of the deepest, darkest holes and who've come out on the other side and now are reflections of, pardon the cliche, love and light those are the people I find I respect the most because they had it harder. And I think they had to do a lot more of the hard work and they are the more insightful people and they're the more interesting people. So many of my friends are um, um, have bipolar disorder. I, res- I have, they're my heroes because they didn't pop out of the womb having it all be easy. Totally. And well, and hence, you know, why success is a relative word for those yeah for not just them, but anybody who is choosing to make a life plan based in more love, a life plan based in more ease and spirituality, confidence in caring for other people, in being of service to other people, in sharing of themselves in a way that maybe others have not grown to be capable of doing just yet. So I, I, I think that there's a lot of success in that. I love that definition of success. And I love that yeah. that definition of success is really open-ended to anyone. It's just a matter if you're willing to put in the work to work on yourself. Yeah, to me, it's how you meet challenges, yeah. how you show up in the world. And I wasn't always good at that. You know, I used to meet challenges by escapism and, um, you know, finding it in other people, finding it in alcohol, finding it in any way I could to get out of myself. Right. And now I think anyone who works through that and decides, no, I want to be present with all of it and I want to face the pain and I want to feel the pain and then I want to find a way to, to live uh, beautifully with it. Um, I, I think, you know, I think that's really the definition of success is how we overcome adversity and grow from it. I love you. I adore you. I just love talking to you. It's never not interesting and it's and it's always enlightening. I just enjoy you so much. Tell my listeners where they should find you, follow you, where to listen to your Thank podcast, you. all of the things. Thank you so much. Um, I just want to say Sedona forever. And <laughs> I love you. You are you are literally, I mean, I one of you are my one of my favorite 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 people so thank you um yeah so thank you for your interest um my voiceover page is shannontorrencevoiceover.com um my website i mean my <laughs> my website my podcast is called magic is real you can find it wherever you get your podcasts and it's also on youtube so it started Love off it. as a youtube show magic is real with shannon torrance um and then i flipped it and now it's also a podcast so you can watch it either way. I love it. Thank you for being my guest. Thank you for being you. It's been you a wonderful too. time as always. I, as always, thank you so much. This has been such an honor. And I'm sure I'll be texting you, you know, like tomorrow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Like, and, and then I'll that? talk to you in five minutes. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. <laughs> I oh. will see you soon, my dear. I will sign off, but I will talk to you soon. Okay. Love you. Love you. Love you too. Bye. <laughs> Bye. 
Today's episode is brought to you by the Natural History Institute, located at 126 North Marina Street in historic downtown Prescott, Arizona. The Natural History Institute is a nonprofit which seeks to cultivate love and understanding of the natural world. They have programs for naturalists of all stripes, newcomer, novice, and veteran. All are welcome who are looking to deepen their relationship with the natural world. Please check out their website at naturalhistoryinstitute.org or head to their Natural History YouTube channel. Thank you for listening to The Creative Convergence, coming to you from Raven Sound Studio in historic downtown Prescott, Arizona. Are you a professional in the arts and would like to share your story with us? Or a company that would like to advertise with us? Shoot us an email at contact at ravenproductionsmedia.com. Help support the arts by becoming a Raven Productions member. Get your perk card and be the first to know about all of our upcoming promotions, events, and online programming. Your membership will directly support the arts programs in our schools. Sign up today at ravenproductionsmedia.com. Until next time, be safe and enjoy the journey.